0: here's the top five things people are looking for. And people who are constantly engaging with the market in that way, basically know where most of this inventory lives, right? And so I think that it's it's been an exciting thing for them to say, this is really helpful information that we don't get from anybody else. It's exciting that we're going to now be able to launch a platform where anybody can come and look at it. People can say, oh, i came across one of those three months ago. I wish I would have known that five people are looking for it. Let me see if I still have access to it.
1: Welcome to the Artelligence podcast. Live Arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works. I'm your host, Marion Maniker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information, as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. As our private sales platform continues to expand... We wanted to take a few minutes to speak with Rachel Hugopian, the managing director of LiveArt Marketplace. She will explain how our platform functions and some of the exciting new features that are releasing now. Uh, Rachel Hugopian, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So, uh, LiveArt Marketplace is a peer to peer Uh, exchange or marketplace for uh, people in the art world. Uh, And you're responsible for running that marketplace, so I thought it would help for us to talk a bit about how the marketplace functions. And if you'll just indulge me, I'd like to sort of do things in a very basic way, like where does the art come from?
0: I mean, it comes from a number of different sources. I think we traditionally source like you would find at an auction house or a gallery that's doing secondary market sales. Um, We have a lot of relationships. I know George O'Dell has been on this podcast probably, I think, more than once now. So George and I sort of run the market in conjunction with one another. A lot of the business that we do, um, especially that we did at the beginning, came from the relationships that George has built over time. We have a number of sort of salespeople that sort of contribute to the same thing. Um, And so the platform was built to be really one of the only truly peer-to-peer platforms that wasn't sourcing majority of their inventory from trade, so dealers, advisors, and all of that, which was great. I mean, we, it was a great start to the platform. It was a um, you know way for us to engage collectors, which is exactly the type of people that we also want to be buyers. But we found that it often, um, while we can get pretty fresh material from those people, it often wasn't at the scale that we wanted. And so we launched last year, um, a really sort of targeted effort to go after trade sellers, so dealers with larger inventories, advisors that have a plethora of clients where they can sort of consign supply, um, supply at, um, at scale so that we can just basically build our marketplace. And so unlike some of the bigger e-commerce sites that do something similar where you can't be a peer, you can only be a trade seller, you can only be a dealer in your field that are extremely uncurated. Um, we specifically go after sellers for the inventory that we, you know that have the inventory that we know that we want to sell. And it's been a really great value proposition for that program as well, and for that sort of subset of people as well, because in fact, the inventory that we get from those sellers, for the most part, since it is a pretty blind, you know, if you go to an Artsy or you go to a First Dibs, ultimately you actually know who the seller is, right? So you can actually find out the seller name, their location. You can communicate with them directly. It's actually a huge value proposition for our trade program sellers um, to have the anonymity. And what we have found, interestingly, is that the type of inventory that you would find if you're engaging with them as an auction house or walking into their gallery is actually not the inventory that they're consigning. And so they they often have deep sort of back room inventories for artists that are complicated or pieces that they don't want to burn. And so they're actually giving us that inventory, you know, just because of the way that our marketplace is set up. So we, you know, really get, again, most of it from the sort of people who have inventory at scale. Um, We do still get a lot of great, you know, lovely consignments from, um, you know, relationships and from individuals. And we also have a request to list feature on the app and also through the web um, we still go through the vetting process of people who are you know, requesting to, to post and we get quite a bit of, of exciting inventory that actually comes from previously unknown clients that you know, are just engaging with the app or the web in some other way and come across the touch point that we're interested in, in sourcing inventory.
1: So talk about the vetting process, because that seems to be, you were you, you talked about anonymity being a feature, not a bug, mm-hmm. a value proposition. The vetting is also, but it's largely, or should be largely invisible to, to certainly to the buyers, but uh, in some ways almost to the seller.
0: Yeah, yeah, so I mean, again, for some of the people that we, you know we have a very clear idea of, what inventory does well and what type of seller does well. And so when we especially are talking about working on partners, so going after certain galleries or talking to certain advisors, we have, I mean our entire company is built on data. And so we know exactly what people are looking for. We know exactly what types of things people are engaging with. We know we have all of this, you know, great sales data from our first full year. Um, In business to know exactly what kind of inventory we want to be adding to the platform. And so we try to curate the proactive sort of sellers that we want to bring onto the platform based off of what we think is is sort of doing well, both at the time, but it's kind of a, you know, the the exciting thing is that it's constantly adapting. And so, you know, we are sort of now doing a new inventory analysis since we have all this great data um, to see if there's a different type of seller that, that would sort of do well on the platform. I would say, as far as the sort of blind request from an unknown person, um, you know, we are we are not really in the business at the moment. Like the the reason our business is so, you know, great and light and nimble. Um, is because we don't have the heavy sort of operational lift that you may in a more traditional sense. We don't need to take something physically in to vet it. We don't need to photograph it. We keep it with the seller, which again, huge value proposition to a lot of people to stay in possession while it's on consignment. We try to kind of tailor to that model while being a little bit risk averse, but also realizing that there are some things that we maybe don't want to list on the platform if we're not able to see them in person. And so we do a lot of on the sell side protections in place. You can't, you know, we are not a model like an eBay where you can sign up and list something and it automatically goes live. There's an internal process where we review the pricing. We review to see if, you know, we make sure, you know, provenance sounds good. If it's not a risky piece, you know, we're not, in the business of of trying to sell Rodin sculptures, just because you know, I mean, first of all, it isn't our core market, but it's also an extremely tricky thing as far as as far as sort of vetting. Um, but basically, you know, if, if we get a listing request and we have somebody that is interested in selling, and we feel comfortable with the piece, and we've spoken with the person, and um, you know, it's really a marketplace for all, and so it's it's an exciting way I think, and it's an exciting outlet for people to consign in a way that they can't really do that in, a, in another e-commerce model.
1: But behind the scenes, we're taking care to prevent the, the kind of bait and switch stuff that happens on occasion exactly. or just the, you know, trying to get a, a, a sense of pricing and all or people who don't really have what they say, say they have exactly. to, to assure. Because we, what we most want to see happen is that people who get onto the platform, get what they want as quickly as they can work out a, a
0: decent, yes exactly uh, so we sort of do we sort of are we've built our value proposition and we've built our business on making sure we want the user to be in control so that's sellers and buyers be in control of what they're looking for and what they're engaging with and not you know understanding like how to take actions on their own on the platform, how to list things on their own. And so we try, but at the same time, you know, it's our duty because it's a double blind to protect the marketplace as well. And so we kind of are in this position where, you know, we, we want to make sure the user who's submitting or the person who wants to consign something feels in control of like how they want to list it. So we give you a number of different options. You can have it be a public listing, you can have it be a private listing, which sort of puts it behind a artwork card. I know George had, you know, George and Kelly described this uh, very much more eloquently and beautifully than I did um, a couple of episodes ago. Um, But, you know, and then pricing is another thing, right? So we, we, again, want to make sure um, in a way that if you're consigning to an auction house where they sort of are like, this is our pricing, take it or leave it, um, versus another marketplace, you know, like at eBay where someone can list it for 10x the value and there's no one sort of controlling it, that we're kind of in the middle of those two things, where you know we say, "Great, this is the price that you want." We actually think that it would do better at this price. Let's sort of like, and, and we do like work with people on on all of those consignments in in a pretty like, I would say, traditional private sale e way that you would sort of handle that at, at in any sort of traditional private sale.
1: And then, where do the buyers come from? I mean. I, I... Mm -hmm. the the interesting thing about this world is many of the buyers are also sellers but there's there's certainly new buyers and other people coming in through through.
0: definitely i mean where are the buyers coming from i think is the billion dollar question that everybody answers right i mean it's even like even the businesses that have been around for 250 years are sort of like where do we find you know buyer acquisition i think is is the hottest topic no matter when you are you know, founded or what sort of your clientele is or what sort of your average order value is. I think for us, the exciting thing is that um, we have this data product. We have this sort of legacy user base that's actually extensive and large. And so what, as you probably have experienced, if any of you have played around with the app or the functions and the features of the auctions, we often are getting... Brand new people that have, you know, signed up for LiveArt years ago to use the data product that are engaging with pieces because we tend to sort of serve up, you know, recommendations and views based off of what people like. And so we, you know, it's it's the two businesses that we have that are LiveArt AI and LiveArt Market um, really are one and the same. You know, I know we, we sort of like manage them as two um, as to independent functions but at the same time you know they're they're really sort of symbiotic to one another um, so we do get quite a bit of use you know buyers that come from that but you know we we also again we have like a wide network every person that works at live art um, has been working in this business for many many years and so a lot of what we also do is word of mouth we have a lot of relationship management clients that you know come to us and talk to their clients and you know, bring us more and more business, and so, um, and so I would say that that you know it's great that we have built such a great business on some of those deep relationships from the start. But I think the plan is, you know, over the next year and the next couple of years to continue to capitalize on that that sort of really big audience that we see, per, you know, interacting with the the AI.
1: So one of the ways we've been doing that is not just to use the data, but to use the auction results and be able to say, you know, if you were bidding on or interested or just curious because you see someone else buying this work, if we've got access to a similar work by one of those artists, we want to let you know so that we can put the buyers and sellers uh, together. Can you talk a little bit about how yeah, that works sure. and then maybe how we want to build on that?
0: Yeah, future? sure. So, I mean, to, to, to your point, Marian, there's a number of triggers that you can sort of sign up. Again, we want the user to be in control. So there's a number of triggers. I mean, we have a fantastic product team who thinks about all of these great ways that we can continue to engage with people so that they don't constantly have to come back to the app and be looking for things that are coming, right? So if you're interested in, you know, I want a cause and you can actually follow the artist, it will let you know if new works come to, to market, Um, If you're looking at a cause lot in an auction and you want to actually see what we have for sale, you can quickly look and it will tell you exactly what we have for sale. We often are matching people with similar artists as well. So, you know, if we don't have a direct artist to artist match, we're giving you kind of like the top 10 things that we think that are available on the market. Um, So that's just, you know, one sort of feature. That's sort of like one feature that we work on. But again, there's this, there's the ability both to request that you have something similar to sell in the app, which has been a really great tool. Often somebody's like, wow, I didn't realize that Bosquiat works on paper, we're going for this much, and I happen to have one, and so I'm gonna sort of, I wanna sell it and see what it, you guys can sell it for, which has been a really great driver um, for property. But at the same time, if you are looking for something that you can't find, you can actually submit a very specific request for what it is that you're looking for. So either you can be, you know, again, we're, we're kind of serving up in the experience for people to say, oh, I'm searching for cause and I didn't find a cause. It will say, great, are you actually looking for something? Then tell us what you're looking for. It's built into, again, the app. It's going to be built into the web as well. Um, very soon. And so we have actually built a lot of our sales business off of the kind of activities that we do manually behind the scenes to make those matches. Again, if anybody you know listening is sort of in the traditional art business, it's a huge part of this business, the understanding what people are looking for, and then sourcing things to match and finding inventory to match. Often we have a number of things in back inventory um, that we can sort of start with, but the, the exciting thing is that we're actually building out very soon something that we're tentatively calling the trading platform that's going to give users the ability to list what they're looking for or and or indicate that they have something to match. And so, you know, it's gonna take what we're doing behind the scenes very manually and give that information to everybody so that we can, you know, try to get some engagement. And frankly, it's really exciting because. While it's a concept that exists across e-commerce, across traditional businesses, um, for a secondary market, primary market, it's going to be extremely exciting for us to sort of be the first person to launch it as an actual feature on the, the product.
1: Well, that gets at this issue about discovery, which in the, the entire... Uh, retail industry, but especially in the e-commerce I- industry, discoveries. Uh, uh, one of the challenges—it's a major hurdle. How do you—the person who knows they need a flashlight—how do they find your flashlight if you're a flashlight ma- maker or the right model and make for them? And in the art world, that extends to a sort of broader issue because it's not just which artist, but which types of works by that that artist. And we know that there are a lot of people who own a lot of art who may or may not be interested in selling it, but they need a prompt. They need some sort of yeah, uh, uh, opportunity to think about it rather than you know make a full-on decision, I'm going to sell this before, uh, uh, go out, box it up, send it to so- someone, put it on consignment. And, uh,
0: absolutely. The... And again, I think that, yeah, so that, I mean, that's, you hit the nail on the head and you answered the question, Marian, better than I could answer the question. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, it's it's exciting to think about, especially for some of the sellers that we talked about earlier, the trade program sellers, um, who have massive inventories, who often have secret inventories. That, you know, we get so much engagement from them, just telling them, here's the top five things people are looking for, and people who are constantly engaging with the market in that way, basically know where all, well, most of this inventory lives, right? And so I think that it's, it's been an exciting thing for them to say, this is really helpful information that we don't get from anybody else, what are the top five things that a private business with a huge consumer and private client base are looking for and engaging with? Um, and so it's it's exciting that we're going to now be able to launch a platform where anybody can come and look at it. People can say, oh, I came across one of those three months ago. I wish I would have known that five people are looking for it. Let me see if I still have access to it. And so it's going to be, I think, a great way for us to just engage with new users, but existing users, and a great way, I think, for us to even, to your point, you know, to help. Sometimes that people don't know what they want to sell. Sometimes people don't know what they want to buy until you put the information in front of them. And so, um, it's a, it's going to be exciting, I think, to see how it all it all plays out.
1: Let Let me take advantage of having you because you uh, here. You you've worked in private sales for a number of years. Um, and most people, especially we deal our, our data is primarily driven by auctions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think people really have a great sense of how the private sales work and those uh, operations have expanded greatly at, at uh, all of the auction houses um, in the last few few years. So I wonder if you could just give us a little bit of, um, sort of your insight on how the private sales business has changed as the, the market has grown. I presume it's because there are more people uh, coming into the art, art market, but I may be wrong about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I I have sort of done the private sales um, at, as you said, an auction house um, for for many years. And then I sort of did the, as much as you can consider it private sales, also in the e-commerce business, which is a little bit sort of, it's 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 pretty different than the traditional business because most of what you're doing is capitalizing on existing users with existing engagements and sort of the, you know, upsell that you can kind of get out of those people, right? And, the, and then, you know, taking those existing people and creating incremental value, which I think is a little bit different than the traditional business. And it's a little bit, you know, obviously like much higher volume. I mean, I like loved working in e-commerce, but it's, a, you know, at a, at a less than $10,000 average order value. It's just a completely different business to be managing. And so I would say that the, that things have changed pretty significantly over the last couple of years. I would say mostly because of transparency. I think that people, you know, are, are pretty desperate for transparency and being, again, putting the user in control, being able to understand what they're looking for, being able to not be afraid to approach, you know, a a sort of bigger house or a bigger place that's pretty intimidating in order to look what they're looking for.
1: How do I become a private sales client at uh, you know Sotheby's or Christie's or, or, or Phillips, do I walk in the door during an auction or an auction preview and express interest in something? Do I have to approve myself first by having been a, a bidder or buyer mm-hmm. a, and maybe even a long-standing one before I get sort of uh, access to the private sale? Or yeah. it, it, you know, how, how does it work for people who haven't been part of this world?
0: Sure, I think that um, one of I mean, I it it's not about how do I become a buyer it's about a private sale client it's about what type of inventory they're actually letting people have access to right and so I think that one of the biggest blockers is I used to like make a joke when I when I worked in private sales like I you know I don't wake up for less than a million dollars a day which is you know the, the auction houses because or some of the traditional businesses in a lot of ways I know that you know, even since I was there, they've done a lot of work on having more e-commerce related to, you know, to um, private sales and how that can sort of open the doors more to people, especially during, you know, the last couple of years where people needed to be buying things online and they couldn't physically go in in person or we couldn't ship something to a, to a place to have it looked at. Um, I think that it's, it's, that has changed a lot over the years, but I think the value in itself can be a blocker for a lot of people who are like actual art collectors, right? And so, you know, again, working in the e-commerce model where the average order value is, you know, was around like probably $3,000, I think that it's, it's, you know, it's an easier sort of barrier to get a bigger buyer base and an easier barrier for people to say, you know, that don't have a half a million dollars to spend on something. Um, And so our average order value, while it's over 120,000, you know, a hundred or so thousand dollars, um, we have quite a bit of property that's actually pretty accessible to people um, from a price point, but also just from a visibility standpoint that I think is is a really sort of good, I know gateway drug is probably not the right way to say that. But I think, you know, to, to become a private sale client, price is a blocker for sure for a lot of people who, you know, just are sort of cold coming in because they're not in the business really of having a ton of inventory that's under $100,000, which if you're a new buyer might be something that's a more sort of accessible point for you. Um, But to answer your question, Marian, they don't really have, you know, uh, you can't just sort of walk in and say, like, I'll take that one and leave because they don't do exhibitions in in sort of the same way that you would do, you know, in a sort of more traditional gallery setting. Um, I mean, in a gallery setting, you usually can't walk in and say, I'll take that one either because you have to know somebody. But, um, you know, it's just it's not a very profitable business and it's not usually a very successful business to have you know, an exhibitions program because most of what they're doing isn't foot traffic. Most of the business they're doing in private sales is existing clients. You know, there's a lot of B2B trade, honestly, that happens um, in private sales. And so it's not that if you have something that they have available for private sale and you have the money to buy it, they're going to say, sorry, you need to be an existing person. But it's about the access too. They're not going to sort of say, oh, you've never bought something from us. We're just going to offer you this thing that you're looking for, you know, because they need to sort of understand who you are. It takes a like, well, we're doing, you know, we're going one to one on this. We have to own, we're only gonna offer this to privates and not to trade. We're only gonna offer this to people that we have like deep relationships with. And so again, we're trying to eliminate some of that by having it actually be in a setting that you can engage with things, even if they're technically private behind an artwork card. Um, you know, so it's it's a little bit it's a it sort of like removes um, I'd say some of those barriers
1: because the the issue is that on these things in this you know six figure band right you know anywhere from fifty to, to fifty thousand dollars to several hundred thousand maybe a million dollars that's the kind of work that in private sales you would provide to someone who is a bigger client almost as a favor to them because it's not very profitable for for you but But you want to keep the client happy, and you know that client's going to buy something big, so you got to keep the relationship going. Whereas people who just want to buy something in that range may not necessarily get the access. Exactly,
0: exactly. And even in in my sort of like e commerce experience, I was always, you know, it was a it was a kind of you know uh, refreshing place to be because you know while in my past life doing the more sort of traditional private sales, I would have not ever expected somebody that was a completely unknown buyer or hadn't engaged with anything to buy something for $300,000. And what was always so astonishing to me when working in e-commerce is that, you know, um, we actually all the time would have an unknown buyer checking out online on a Warhol Macintosh print for $300,000 that we had never met before he's like, I love Warhol and I just want to buy this Warhol and I have $300,000 to spend. And he had never bought anything before. He found it via Google SEO and checked out. And so I think that, um, you know, we we tend to assume that the kinds of collectors that are going to spend that kind of money are people that we know. And so I think that um, you know, there there's a lot I know that the, the houses have done to kind of make it a little bit more kind of the private sales for the everyday man. But I think that we are, you know, sort of the the private sales for the everyday man on, on steroids, if you will.
1: I also, um, it's my understanding that one of the challenges of the business for everyone, ourselves included, is, you know, people like the anonymity of doing stuff online. No one bothers me. But to do this kind of business, ultimately, most art is bought from another person. You know, mm-hmm. e- even if you're you're bidding uh, on the internet at uh, Christie's, there's a good chance you have a relationship with someone. Certainly, Christie's wants someone to have right. uh, in the in the auction house to have a relationship with you, and and that. Kind of how do you get from the anonymity to developing a relationship? I mean, I understand our platform to people looks like it's supposed to be totally anonymous because we sell anonymity. Mm -hmm. But we have people who are there to help you work on the platform and help facilitate a transaction so that it's not just, you know, checking out a $300,000
0: wall. Right. Right. Well, I mean, we are a vet. I mean, we are a vetted platform. I and mean, even in the e-commerce experience, you don't just let someone check out on a three hundred thousand dollar Warhol without at least some sort of touch point. Um, we are a, a vetted platform, and so you know, if somebody does sort of engage with us on um, on a piece, we do make sure to like make contact with every single person.
1: What's that contact look like? Is that is it an email? Is it a telephone call? I mean, if
0: we have a pretty great, like, as I sort of mentioned. Automatic trigger system that sort of lets people know, like, thank you so much for your inquiry. We'll be in touch. Um, we have a great sales team, and so we we sort of take it upon ourselves, both for our sellers and our buyers, for every engagement that we get in a market um, in the market setting um, that we're reaching out and sort of offering that additional touchpoint, additional client service. I mean, a good example, Marion, is you know we have some private sellers who say, hey, I only want to offer this. Thing I only want to show this private work to people who request to view it that are private collectors that we have like spoken to and verified are not you know people who are just sort of like the gallery that represents the artist, sort of fishing, or a person who's just curious about this sort of thing. And so, we offer that level of like additional concierge touch point that I think a lot of other sort of e-commerce settings do not. you know and and we have a great again sales team who often will report back and say hey I've spoken with this client that requested to view this Joe Bradley that's listed at eight hundred thousand dollars that we're pretty the seller is pretty sensitive about um, they're gonna go through the full verification process they spoke to them about their collection here's some artists that they collect here's what they're interested in this is where they're based and so we, don't do that on every single thing because I think it's, you know, it's, you sort of have to decide that for a Warhol that's listed at $5,000, you maybe don't need to kind of go that additional step. Um, but we are, you know, often using these market engagements both as a way to make the market feel protected. But also because um, you know it, it just gets helps us get to know our users better and gets helps us get to know sort of like what the, the buyer behaviors and, like. and
1: in this current phase of the market where a lot of people are interested in getting a hold of work by emerging ar- artists there's a great deal of sensitivity around how that gets sold to whom it gets so, sold, what they're going to right. do, do with it. so it's it's not necessarily a free-for-all it's still mediated with exactly. people you, you can you can extend those concerns exactly. and vet it as well. As
0: Especially because as I as I mentioned to you before, um, you know again some of our trade partners who if you walk into their gallery and see you know a number of a certain type of inventory, on the walls, or that's the stuff that they bring to art fairs. Um, but the inventory that they're consigning to us is actually quite different. A lot of it is like artworks that they have bought that are really hot primary market. So technically, they're secondary market, but they are just, you know, much more sensitive because it's, you know, an Anna Benaroya, or it's a Hillary Peckish. And so these names that people can't get access to primary market that are coming to a secondary market, but that just are a little bit more sensitive. And we're starting to see that those are the pieces that actually get the most engaged. That's sort of been like our bread and butter of where we've been able to sell and engage with people. Um, and so yeah, exactly right. We sort of want to make sure we're, we're, we're both giving people access to the inventory that we have, but also that we're you know, making sure to to protect markets and sort of work with our, our users on, on what their, you know, what their qualifications are.
1: Be good good citizens of our ecosystem. <laughs>
0: exactly, that's exactly right, that's exactly right.
1: Great, thank you so much for doing this.
0: Okay, thank you so much for having me. it was been, been really fun. Can't wait to come back. <laughs>
1: Thank you for joining us at the Intelligence Podcast, edited by Colin Ketchum, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Intelligence Podcast. We're looking forward to it.